0: The National Association for Primary Education has an SEND conference in association with the University of Bedfordshire on the 26th of April 2024. This is a hybrid event and available to anybody in person or online. Please go to nape.org.uk for more information. That's nape.org.uk Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast the place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you so much for being here and just wanted to do a shout out for the YouTube channel educationonfire.com forward slash YouTube, where you'll see lots of live streams and lots of interviews that aren't part of the podcast. And as we're sort of generally transitioning into video podcasting, it's a place where you can watch as well as also continue to listen on this platform. Now today I'm delighted to be joined by Suzanne Robertshaw and she's been teaching for 23 years and has worked as a SENCO supporting students with learning differences since 2015. She feels passionate about the positives of being neurodivergent which she regularly promotes on her Instagram page teaching with a difference. Now Suzanne has spoken at several teaching conferences and regularly trains teachers about how to support students with learning differences. She's a postgraduate certificate in dyslexia research and practice and has also worked as an ADHD consultant and dyslexia tutor, helping lots of families along the way. Now, it's her work over the years with these amazing young people who have inspired her book, A Gobblegarts Guide to Your Brilliant Neurodivergent Brain*. Hi, Suzanne. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. I love chatting to authors. I love it when it fits within their kind of professional career. And I'm just fascinated how you came up with the title. So why don't we start there?
1: Yeah, well, I, thank you for having me. Um, as I was just explaining, um, it's <laughs> it doesn't really sort of roll off the tongue, but I just, I just felt really... Um, you know, I thought it was really important to sort of have this title. So it's called um A Gobblegark's Guide to Your Brilliant Neurodivergent Brain.
0: So where did that come from? what was the sort of the I guess the the thinking behind it, despite having something which <laughs> like I say is an incredibly kind of interesting subject matter?
1: Yeah, well, I wanted this book to um appeal to children obviously neurodivergent children um I wanted to have a really positive word before the word neurodivergent um and it needed to um also include the main character just to create some interest um and engage the you know the reader uh so I was trying to get something that was you know sort of suited to sort of alliteration in the title Um, and at first I think I thought of maybe it was goblin or something like that but when I asked a few people they said maybe that's you know got a few sort of negative connotations it was going to be a goblin's guide Um, so I just thought you know what I'll just make up a word that sounds fun as I say it's alliteration in the title Um, so I came up with the word. Gobblegark, and actually that was perfect because I managed to um really integrate it into part of the backstory of of the main character. And yeah, I think- I yeah, yeah.
0: And I, I think what I really love is, like you said, the, the positivity about it, the, the kind of setting the scene for what was important for you in relation to the book as well, because it's so often, I mean, I've got limited experience of this being a, a music teacher, but that sense of, okay, so if I'm labelled as this, it means that I'm different, or there's a problem, or there's, or whatever it happens to be rather than just kind of, this is me, these are my superpowers, this is how it is that I can sort of show up in the world, and this is how I come across as the best version of what I can and how that works with everybody else. And so I love that kind of sort of setting the scene, like I say, just even straight from the title.
1: Absolutely, and I I felt really passionate about that. Um, I mean, it's not so... I didn't want it to be so naive that we're just saying you know, everybody who's neurodivergent, there's never any problems, never any challenges. It's all great and it's a superpower and whatnot, you know, because obviously that's not the reality um, of the child uh, or of of anyone who's neurodivergent. Um, So it had to be realistic enough to say, of course, there are certain challenges that will present themselves to you at school, at home, in in the world in general, which tends to be unfortunately set up more sort of geared towards a neurotypical brain, what we call a neurotypical brain. Um, but I also felt passionate that I wanted the child to have this narrative of, yes, my brain does have a lot of strengths. And actually, when I use the strategies that I've sort of offered throughout the book, I can come at things in a much different way that plays to the strengths of my brain so I can achieve success instead of, you know, what often happens with kids um, in neurotypical settings is they'll, they'll feel like a failure. Um, so the, the gobble gark, if, I, if I'm okay to start talking about the character, mm-hmm. um, they were created because I wanted to present to the child that this is somebody who is neurodivergent and the world that the gobblegark comes from neurodivergence is held in really high esteem um you know it's it's seen as like the best of the best and if you've got a neurodivergent brain um then it's something that people can learn from it's something that people should aspire to so i just wanted that setting um to be there throughout the book so that the child could sort of relate to somebody that understood what they might be going through, but kept cheering them on all the way through and saying, look, you know, your brain's actually really good.
0: And so take us into where this passion comes from in terms of your your sort of your home life and your professional life, because I know it's sort of integral to everything that you do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say probably for at least the past 11 years, I've been quite immersed in the world of neurodivergence. Um, I met my husband 11 years ago And he told me that he had ADHD, uh, which I didn't know much about at the time. Um, so I thought, well, I better quickly educate myself. So I started putting myself on courses with the ADHD foundation, doing lots of research, um, ended up doing a postgrad in dyslexia research and practice. And then I began training teachers about inclusion and neurodivergence um i set up my own company teaching with a difference where i wanted to help um neurodivergent children and their families and then over the past couple of years we discovered that our own son um has dyslexia and adhd um and i'm now working i've been working as a senko for quite a few years as well so yeah <laughs> i would say i'm completely immersed uh, at home and in my working life, um, in the world of neurodivergence, and I, I talk to people, I would say, on a daily basis now on social media who are also neurodivergent. And, you know, unfortunately, the one theme that comes through loud and clear is that people are having a really difficult time, as I said before, in society, which is geared towards more neurotypical brains certainly in education, which, although it's definitely progressing, I think it's still got quite a long way to go in terms of, you know, inclusion, including neurodiversity. So all of that experience sort of fed into why I wanted to write this book.
0: And in terms of the way you've got about writing the book, I'm assuming that all this experience is was sort of key to, you know, was it going to be just a straight novel? Was it going to be um, a worksheet? Was it going to be um, a workbook? You know, and and so take us into sort of the format of it and how you sort of came to that conclusion.
1: Yeah, well, at first I was thinking, should it be a story? But then I realised that it needed to also be a workbook, because I've used so many of these strategies with my own students, with my son, etc that I know work um so I decided it needed to be a combination of fiction as I say the character Jangles the Gobblegark leads uh the child through the book so it's a combination of helping them to learn about how a neurodivergent brain works and works well but it's also a treasure hunt so they have um, little challenges that they can attempt to do in each chapter. Um, and if they at least attempt them, then they win a key and they get onto the next chapter. And then the goal at the end is finding the treasure, which is sort of the big surprise at the end. So I, I felt also really strongly that it, it shouldn't be an adult talking to a child. It shouldn't be a teacher. It needed to be a character that they could really relate to all the way through so that it was authentic. Um, so, you know, they could stay engaged all the way through. So yeah, it's a, it's a mixture of a fictional story, but carried through a workbook with practical and, and downloadable strategies as well.
0: And so when you were sort of putting all this together, I guess one really important factor was going to be that like a separating out, or in some way, making it really clear that just because you don't fit what the norm is, like say in sort of typical classrooms or, or a typical setting, that actually, once you understand more about how you work and how your brain is working, then you can you can show up maybe it's not the right way of putting it but you can actually sort of be in life in a way that you know helps you which I, I guess from a physical point of view you know if you were going to be in a wheelchair then you'd know you'd need to be looking for ramps because the steps aren't going to work and that kind of thing and I guess from the sort of neurodivergent way it's the same sort of thing I know that these key areas are going to be helpful for me this I might want to avoid this is something I'm going to sort of have as my own kind of support net mechanism which means that I'm going to be able to to really sort of thrive on a daily basis rather than feeling like I'm always sort of up against the system as it were
1: yeah absolutely I mean a good example as I say even before we realized my son was neurodivergent when he was quite young and he was given spelling tests he used to get quite distressed about sitting down and just having to read the words and learn the words so it was just an intuitive thing at the time I used to get him to run to each wall and spell out the words and without even realizing you know we were we were getting him to move which as we know creates dopamine dopamine allows you to focus and learn much better and also as i say throughout the years um, i've used all these strategies with students Um, the students i support in my everyday job are slightly older Um, but again things like you know i had one student where the teacher was just verbally trying to explain a concept. And I always say to teachers, don't just talk because the words will just disappear into the air. It won't be retained. Um, And I encouraged the teacher to just try and use a mind map. And she came back and she was, she just said, it's the first time I actually understood. And the rest of the class who were probably mainly neurotypical, also said it was the first time that they understood such an easy thing you know making an idea visual but it's things like this that i would class as real inclusive inclusive learning
0: and that's a really important point isn't it because it shouldn't be that we need to just give um help and support to people in any kind of um situation but actually collectively as a whole as a community like say within a within a class within a school how is it that we can all understand each other better and therefore give ourselves the opportunity to support each other but to thrive and to help each other in whatever it is that, that they need and it sounds like like say those light bulb moments especially from someone who's having to set work to set their classrooms up to understand how their working day is going to look that's a real sort of game changer
1: yeah absolutely um yeah i i think as I said, I think education in this country is definitely going in the right direction in terms of inclusivity. I, I think the problem is is that I think nowadays the terms like differentiation is kind of accepted that that's an out that's an outmoded way of planning a lesson. Um, but I still think you know, and all the research backs this up, is that if teachers started every class thinking everybody's neurodivergent how can i adapt my materials the way i'm speaking the pace i'm speaking the quality of the board work you know what's wrong in adapting all your fonts and your background to be dyslexia friendly it doesn't matter if you've got one or no students with Mm -hmm. dyslexia it's going to benefit everybody so it's just going in with that kind of approach that I'm teaching a whole class of neurodiverse brains, not here's the majority who think in a homogenous way, and I'll do a few extra activities for the others who might be neurodivergent. You know, it's just changing the narrative. I think.
0: Yeah, and I think if if you can change that narrative early on, then it might take a little bit of work. Like say you're you're resetting all of your fonts, all of your colors, how you how you want your class to look. But once it's done, then you're already in that mindset and everything's there to then change. Like say, as more children come in and out of the class, your year groups change, however it is that you're sort of working um, mm-hmm. from that point of view. And I guess, you know, speaking about classes, you know, what, what's the age um, aim for the book in terms of, of that sort of who you were sort of writing it for?
1: So it's marketed for children aged seven to 12 years old.
0: So you've got that kind of key stage to element as it goes through. And, and I'm and I'm fascinated, you sort of mentioned about being a Senko, um, about having your own company, and also then being an author. So what does your, what does your life or your week look like? From that point of view? Did you have to sort of separate out time with you doing it in the evenings, weekends? How did it work?
1: Well, luckily, I started writing it during lockdown. Oh, you see, right. that was the key. Um uh, so I had a little bit – I shouldn't really say this if anyone from my work's listening. I had a little bit of extra time on my hands, as I think we all did. Um, but I am also very lucky enough to I, – I work a, as a 0.8 contract, so I also have Mondays free. Um, so what I couldn't sort of manage during the weeks or holidays. Um, I used weekends and Mondays. Um, so, you know, it was quite an enjoyable experience. I wouldn't say um, – it was too stressful. And now, I mean, in all honesty, in terms of my, the work I was doing with teaching with a difference when I was helping children in this country and their families, I haven't done that for a few years because the books, you know, really taken up all of my time. Um, I am extremely busy in my work as a Senko. Um, I, I just try and practice what I preach, you know, take small, manageable tasks, give myself regular breaks, be very aware of what's going on in my body, not just the body is just for carrying the head and nothing else. Um, And if I feel like I am experiencing cognitive overload, then I'll just take a step step back, you know, and, and let myself relax a bit.
0: Yeah, I love that. And and that again is back to that kind of personalised learning, but that sort of personal awareness, isn't it, in any in, in any shape, no matter what your situation. And I think the more the more you can understand it, the more you can then make those choices. And I think then certainly from a general well being point of view, especially within the education profession, then you know you're doing it with real purpose because <laughs> you know, just pushing through now when you've still got, you know, however many years you're gonna be doing this until people retire or finish or whatever, is, is definitely not going to be uh, very, very supportive for long term. And I think so many people can identify with that. So it's always great to hear people talking about how they go about doing that.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, tell us a little bit about what it's like from... Um, a structure point of view when you were sitting down to write? Like, say, you, because of lockdown, because there was that sort of a different way of being for that for that amount of time, did you sort of have to be structured in terms of, I'm now going to do an amount of time today, um, giving, like I said, that idea of, of how you were feeling and how you're going to work it down or was it much more kind of fluid than that that you were able to have the oh I can now do a bit now I've just been inspired by this or now the format's coming together I can actually sort of feel like I can see where this sort of this next sort of however many pages or however many chapters are going to work for me
1: I think every all of the above really um I mean my brain works at best in the mornings for sure so if I woke up quite early um I had a fairly clear mind and I, and I was able to kind of just start on the next part or the next chapter. Um, But also, you know, I mean, I'm sure like all writers will tell you I had days where I had the full day ahead of me, maybe at the weekend or what have you. And, you know, I'd say to myself, great, I can get through this amount of work and and no ideas would come to me. It was so frustrating. Um, But actually, um, When I went, interesting, when I was outside, um, you know, taking my dog for a walk, when I was in nature, the ideas absolutely flowed. So as soon as I'd been for a walk, I'd come back um, and start writing or at least take notes if I didn't have time. Um, So that was quite an interesting point. And again, I think that's sort of connected to maybe children and how, how they can learn best sometimes you know the irony was when I was sat at a desk my brain was sometimes quite stagnant but when I was out moving and walking in the fresh air my brain was working you know really efficiently and really well.
0: Yeah so you sort of mentioned there in terms of sort of how you work and obviously your experience as a senko and being involved in schools but is there a sort of a personal school experience or teacher that you remember from from way back that one sort of had an impact, good or bad, but also maybe how you sort of incorporated that into into your work now?
1: Yeah, well, I've got two quite extreme experiences, I would say when I was at um, secondary school, uh, in the 80s, I went to a typical sort of comp. um, And my experience was really bad, (laughs) to be honest. Um, It was just very, you know, overcrowded a few a few children at the top that were gifted got the attention and then a few of the naughty ones got the attention and then sort of all of us in the middle kind of got ignored and you know it was quite punitive and it was really uninspiring so i was determined when i started my teaching career to do the the polar opposite of that um but also i had a really amazing teacher who who's no longer with us called Stuart Lester, um, when I was doing my PGCE and he specialised in uh play therapy. I think he's written a few books about it as well. Um and that was just so unbelievably inspiring. I mean he had a I think the students on the course were probably age range between maybe sort of twenty five and sixty. And from the first day, he had us crawling on desks, making bridges out of paper, blindfolded, you know, just having fun and playing games. And all the things, you know, this is the key, really. Every single thing that I supposedly learnt from school left my brain the, the day that I finished. And everything that I learned on my PGCE still is there. And I think that's just because we were having fun using multisensory methods, um, and so that's had a massive impact on me and my teaching career.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that's really, really important, isn't it? Is it? Is these things sort of come through? And um, is there um, a piece of advice you've been given, or maybe a piece of advice that you give your your younger self now, looking back, that you'd like to share?
1: Um. I mean, I think, I'm sure you've probably had guests on here before who've said the same thing, but to my younger self, I would just say, you know, it's all going to be okay. Um, as I said, I had really unenjoyable experiences because I, I was also bullied for a couple of years. Um, and I think at the time, and it's probably worse for children nowadays with social media, you just can't see past that that time. You know, it's all very kind of, living in the moment um and just to go back and say you know it's all going to be all right you're going to do really well for yourself and be happy and this time at school even though it can feel i'm not saying everybody does you know doesn't enjoy it obviously some people love school but for those who aren't particularly enjoying it, it it's a really tiny blip in your life um and the rest of your life could be amazing i think somebody said to me recently Your story doesn't necessarily start when you think it does. And I think that's something really important for young people to know.
0: Yeah, I think that's really valuable advice, because, of course, the thing is, is that you don't know any different when you're young, do you? Because you've been in school since, well, four now, and you may well have been in nursery at, at various um, points before that. And so all you know is getting up, going to school, doing what you're told and whatever. And like we say, your education experience might be different and you might have a wonderful time. Um, you might have a terrible time, or like you say, just somewhere in between, which is probably the majority of people's experience. But that's all that you know. And then I'm mean, uh, um our youngest is um in the in the lower sixth now and it's that sense of ooh what your life suddenly looks like when you're a bit older because you get a bit more kind of um, they sort of loosen the reins a bit in terms of leaving school and that kind of thing but the thought of actually then sort of you know going to university or getting a job or or not being just at home and that kind of it's almost mind-blowing because you you might have thought about it but the reality of that being the case very soon and like say Mm -hmm. that's a whole different chapter that suddenly is so exciting and gives you such an idea And I think trying to sort of understand that younger is important, because if we never tell people this, then they don't know. They just assume that they're sort of stuck where they are. But at the same time, sort of being realistic about the fact that you do still have to go to school tomorrow. So therefore, that's going to be doing. But I guess that's where the sort of the the whole version of what life looks like comes in, whether you know, as a parent, you know, what clubs are you doing, what are the interests, how do you go about supporting them at home, as well as what the education situation is and, you know, what their passions are as well. It really is sort of that sort of whole fabric, a sort of a, a template really of uh of of what's really supportive, which only you know when you're sort of close close by, certainly as a parent but yeah. also as a teacher as well.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Um, is there a resource you'd like to share? And this can be personal or professional, but be anything from a book, a film, song, podcast, but but something which has had an impact.
1: Um for me personally, when I started becoming involved with the ADHD Foundation, they're based in Liverpool. Um, but their you know, their work is sort of nationwide. I think probably in a few countries as well, they're quite well known. Um I I can't recommend highly enough their courses. Um, you can do them face to face or online. Um, Dr. Tony Lloyd, who's the CEO of the ADHD foundation. He's an incredibly inspiring person for me. Um, and again, they've just completely changed my um, whole perspective on teaching on inclusivity. Um, and if you go onto their website, They don't just have stuff about ADHD, they have things, you know, information on all learning differences. And I would definitely recommend that as a great resource for people.
0: And obviously the acronym FIRE is really important to us here, Education on FIRE, and by that we mean feedback, inspiration, resilience, and empowerment. What is it that strikes you when you hear that?
1: Uh, It might not be the obvious, um, to people, but something that had a lifelong impact on me. Um, when I came to Manchester 20 years ago, I, I used to teach and support young refugees and asylum seekers Um they were aged 14 to 18 years old. And, um, they'd been through, you know, what I think anybody would describe as hell on earth. Um, I won't go into the details cause it's obviously quite distressing. Um, but to be amongst those people every day, um, knowing, you know, what they'd been through, had maybe all their family members killed, they'd been dispossessed, forced out of their homes, um, come to a completely foreign country where maybe they didn't speak the language or very little, and they just to see them every day turn up to classes with smiles on their faces really determined to get some kind of an education and not knowing you know what we've just been talking about not knowing what their future would be would they be returned to their home country or whatever they just kept going they were so resilient so positive so polite they you know they would thanked me after every class um, that's had such a lasting impact on me and i and i still bump into them in and around the city um you know some of them have got jobs at the university I, my uber driver turned around to me the other day and said hello teacher um and it was a lad that i had, hadn't seen since he was 15 years old you know and he was in his 30s um And that is just so heartwarming to me that, you know, human beings can be really pushed to the edge of, you know, hell, as I say, and still be driven to be positive and that resilient and that determined to make a success of their lives uh, and just be really nice people as well after having a lot of extremely not very nice things done to them. Um, Yeah, so that's what that acronym would mean to me.
0: Yeah, I I love that. And I think it really sort of puts everything into perspective, doesn't it? And I think probably, certainly in terms of the topics that we're talking about today, because... The most important thing is just actually to connect on a human level, to be supportive, to be empathetic, to, to, you know, really encourage people to be their best self, no matter what their circumstances, whatever they're struggling with, or whatever they're thriving at, you know, to sort of have that sort of real kind of connection and real conversations. And that really is the is a good starting point for anything before we get involved in any kind of education system or, or any given thing. I just think I absolutely love that. Absolutely so tell us where can we find out more about you um the book is there a specific place you want people to go so that we can make sure that everyone um gets all the information that they need
1: so um i'm on social media um the thing i use very regularly the platform is instagram and you can find me at teaching with a difference and on that um platform i've got a link tree um where you've got a link to my website. You've got a link to all my writing. There's a link to where you can buy the book. Um, And I'm also on Twitter. But the the main sort of thing area with all the links is, is on my Instagram
0: fantastic and we'll have links to that on the show description of this episode as well so people can can find it there as well so Susanna, thank you so much indeed i really appreciate you taking us through the story of that and and all the obvious amazing work that you're doing and i wish you every success with the book um and uh, yeah be delighted to sort of hear in the future how people are really reacting with it. So, yeah thanks so much for joining us today
1: thank you so much
0: thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community with over 300 episodes, I've created 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com.
1: Education is not the filling of a pail lighting of a fire.